Hello and welcome. Elizabeth Lockwood here. I'm your host for Mile Long Trace, where we unpack the process of practicing commercial interior design. This podcast is a catalyst to elevate you as a commercial interior designer to make you resilient and successful at your career by unpacking the facets of the design process, elevating your professional practice through organizational dynamics tips, celebrating emerged practitioners through a series of candid interviews so that you can hear how they navigated their career path, and lastly, creating a Q&A platform to build quality professional resources. In the end, I want you to feel supported in your role as a commercial interior designer so that you can be successful in your career. As passionate designers, we want to elevate the commercial interior design industry by providing credible resources to support emerging practitioners. In order to keep this content accessible, Mylong Trace is seeking industry partners and sponsors to grow this platform. Industry sponsors and partners that are passionate about supporting, influencing, and advancing commercial interior design. Mylong Trace is offering annual and a la carte sponsorship. More information and to contact us, go to MileLongTrace.com. Generous sponsorship dollars support the future of commercial interior design by building a stronger community, knowledge base, and attrition at firms and an industry at large. Welcome to Design Resiliency. It seems in a matter of weeks we have seen our entire health system retract, our economic system begin to crash, and our political system start to quiver. Ironic? Guess again. We're in the middle of reorganizing some of the hugest systems we value, our health, our economy, and our political structure. I'm sure you have cycled through a mix of emotions, whether that be uncertainty, concern, or fear. And in today's episode, we're going to take a deep dive into the concepts of design resiliency to unpack and inspire you as a designer to embrace change to sustain your design practice. On a personal note, health, economic, and political systems collide. Five months ago, I outlined 12 episodes for the launch of My Long Trace podcast. My goal was to create a season one that would end in June. In March, I said to hell with original plan, and I started designing the episodes to line up with the address of the pandemic. Even though I didn't fully have everything formulated, in my own design practice, it felt important to begin that conversation, to plant the seed and cast a line out there to say, what's next? The plan for the next couple months, or however long it takes, is to keep going through the summer and to provide you relevant content to aid you in these unprecedented times. Without further ado, welcome to episode Design Resiliency. Thinking back to, say, February 2020, the office was bustling. We were holding our breath, wondering how long the boom in the building development was going to last. Clients kept requesting work, and we were taking a hard look at our own internal leasing negotiations, staffing, and our physical workstation capacities. Fast forward at the beginning of March 2020, there was a rumbling in the air that COVID-19 might have reached further into the United States. As we braced ourselves, we didn't really know how to respond, so we kept on doing what we knew best collaborating with design teams, cranking out deadlines, and hoping for the best. And then, at a blink of the eye, the entire nation, what felt like overnight, 
shut down, and we began to figure out how to work from home. It was an eerie feeling. The air felt even stale. The streets were quiet, and we were running out of toilet paper. And what did we do most? We went into hoarding lockdown mode. Food was flying off the shelves. Teepee, flour, and active yeast were hot commodities. For myself, I was concerned, deeply concerned for myself, my family, my peers, my friends, my neighbors, the city, and the nation, and the world. Interestingly enough, but not ironically, the conversation quickly shifted from concerns of health to concerns for another reason. We began to brace ourselves, and it felt like a nightmare, one where you wanted to pinch yourself to wake up. As we looked at our weekly projections, we began to contact each client to check in and see how the nation's shutdown was going to impact them. We began to communicate, we began to evaluate, and we began to cross our fingers and hope. Hope this would be temporary. Hope it would only be a small dip, and most of all, hope it would look nothing like 2008's recession. So I'm sure by now you're wondering where I'm going with this. And hang with me, I'm trying to outline the deeply systemic-rooted issues that we're trying to pull together here. I'm trying to give you some context to lay this out shortly after the conversation shifted from human health to economic health, it quickly became political. We began to divide as a nation and question even our good friends' political views. Some felt like the virus was a hoax. Some were deeply afraid. Some respected the governmental shutdown. Some chose to keep on going and doing what they'd always been doing. It was actually fascinating to watch how each family member, friend, coworker, neighbor, began to go into their own version of social distancing. This brings me to my final point. It's more apparent than ever how interconnected our health system, our economic health, and our political systems are. When we talk about one of these, we tend to lead into another. So now what? How do we unpack this all to advise our clients to make the best informed decisions when honestly, we're at the midst of a massive reorganization of our health, economic, and political system? This is where the theory of design resiliency can be applied. It is a theory, model, and tool I like to use during different phases of design or during business restructuring and strategy times. It feels even more relevant than now to introduce some of these concepts to you of systems thinking that I have in my back pocket. In the last few episodes with Peter Harrison and Bill Boucher, we discussed our design practice during COVID-19. And throughout, I kept thinking, We were dancing around the notion of resiliency on two different tiers. Moving forward through this episode, I want to outline that I'll be speaking on two different levels. One being the notion of having a healthy design practice during a recession, or just in general, recession or not, healthy design practice. And the second notion being designing in response to pandemics, how we can use this time to understand, to learn, to study what's going on with human health in the built environment, and how we can use that to leverage our design practice and build stronger projects. First off, you're probably wondering, what is design resiliency? In my own words, design resiliency is the practice of adapting to change, being nimble, flexible, reflective, adaptive, and even at times embracing chaos. For a more esteemed definition, Salt and Walker and Resilient Thinking State Resilience is the capacity of a system to absorb disturbances and to still retain its basic function and structure. This sounds like a relatively straightforward statement, but when applied to systems of humans and nature, it has far-reaching consequence, they state. Hence what I mentioned before, 
we're in the midst of a massive reorganization of some of the largest systems we value. Again, human health, economic health, and the political systems. These systems are so interwoven that you can't really, it seems you can't disturb one without affecting another. If we are to have disturbances such as a global pandemic, we're going to see a fallout. We're going to see a ripple into other systems. And the very question that many have been wondering, but I'm sure few have verbalized, is the fear that a global pandemic might severely impact the human species, or the fear that our economic system might crash and many systems forced to close, or that our political system seems to be at a vibrancy right now is being questioned. And I get it. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. There's a lot of unknown and concern and fear that's coming up because we're in the midst of change. So here's how I see it. We have two options moving forward. We can either surrender and let this wash over us, or we can try to change the system at play. But changing a system that's already in motion with ingrained patterns is very challenging to do. So how does a design practitioner change their practice? Or, another question, how do we navigate clients to design better spaces in name of human health? As Margaret Wheatley states in Walk Out, Walk On, resilient thinking is about how and why the system as a whole is changing. We're better placed to build a capacity to work with change as opposed to being a victim of it. And here's the key. You might even want to write this down or refer to our show notes for the summary, again, because this is how we're going to design our way out of this massive restructuring. A resilient system has the capacity to rebound from disturbances and does this by increasing its diversity, redundancy, and foregoing growth and speed in favor of sustainability and by engaging in a wide range of small local actions that connect one another. So if you break that down, and I'm going to repeat it again because I think it's so crucial, the keys to resilient systems is diversity, foregoing growth and speed, engaging in small local actions that connect to one another. So what does that mean? Something for you guys to ponder is how that might apply to your own design practice, the types of clients you work with, the type of project, typologies you work within, or even as you're working with a client during the programming and strategy phase is how can we advise them and help them lean into resiliency and creating a resilient system for their own office or their own business. Margaret Wheatley further goes on to say, our resilience as a community depends upon our capacity to look forward, to look backwards, and to look honestly at our situation today. Resilience isn't a new idea. There is much to learn from the past about how to create resilient systems. We're only here today because our ancestors learned how to deal with disturbances and upheavals. We can't fight with the same fires. We can't give it more will or prayer or muscle, turn things back around. So here's my first design tip for you guys. Study the system in question, and then study the related systems to look for patterns. And that was how I felt at the beginning, when COVID was beginning to enter in the United States and we were starting to see data from other countries, is it felt like it was a time to internalize 
It also felt like it was a time to learn, to expand our minds, to understand things in further depth. And so during that time, that's our inquiry time. That's what we've been trained to do as designers. And so a lot of these things you guys probably already know and have in your back pocket, but maybe haven't shed the light on them being a resilient approach. And so the first thing is to really take a look at the system in question and begin to look for patterns. Where are you seeing things successfully repeated? Where are you seeing things that are maybe not successfully working, right? Those are some clues. This can be within your design practice, others' design practices, and even other business structures that you can see relationships between. When the first Rumley recession appeared, groups of interior designers began to ask, is this going to be anything like 2008? What is different? What is the same? Many real estate brokers I've heard have said, paramount difference is the lending is still there, but is the fear that is causing the downturn. The fear, the hesitation, the uncertainty is what we're seeing trigger a possible recession. Our economy is based on growth and a beautiful bell curve always going up. In actuality, it's also a very brittle system that can be easily influenced. It's also one that changes. Yet, we always seem to be surprised when it changes. And what resilience thinking can teach us is that change is inherent. It's a vital part of a system. Thinking about after 2008, we had a massive growth that brought a lot of really great opportunity for many of us. It was a good time. And in truth, our health, our economic system, they're no different. We have gotten really good at designing interventions, some short-lived, some long-lasting, some long time overdue for an upheaval, maybe like right now. So imagine the infinity symbol. It's one that's a continuous figure eight and keeps looping back on itself. The beauty of the infinity symbol is that as time passes, it cycles back on itself, creating a continuous closed-loop system. Within those loops, there are ups and downs, highs and lows, growth and conservation, and above all, continuous change. To take it one level deeper, S. Holing is to thank for the theory of adaptive cycles when he applied it to the biological realm. And I believe that we can also apply the same adaptive cycle model to social systems, such as human health, policy, economics, and even our own design practice. So what are adaptive cycles? Adaptive cycles is the central theme to a resilience approach, is how social and ecological systems change over time, whether that be social ecological systems that are always changing. A useful way to think about this is to conceive the systems moving through four phases. And I've got this in the, a diagram of this in the show notes for you guys so you can take a visual look at what I'm describing here is the four phases are rapid growth, conservation, release, and reorganization. And usually, but not always, these happen in, in a sequence, but they can also interact and change. So imagine the life cycle of a flower. In the dead of winter, it goes into a conservation mode. It stores up its energy, and it then, in spring, releases, where you see massive rapid growth. As it moves through the seasons, you see the cycles continue again. So now apply that thinking to a business model or an economic structure or a building process, you name it. 
Any system out there goes through a version of these four stages in order to maintain its basic function and existence. Again, it sees rapid growth. It sees times of conservation. There's opportunities for release and reorganization. So if we unpack the four phases of the adaptive cycles, rapid growth is where we see exploitation of resources. We see new business ventures. The conservation phase, we see energy being stored. We see material slowly accumulating. We see caution. We see pulling in of resources, right? Sounds similar to maybe where we're at right now. During the release phase, we see chaotic, rapid changes quickly. We see a lot of movement and restructuring. In the reorganization phase, we see shuffling. We see renewal. And so even in a microcosm of, say, the last 11 weeks as we've been working from home, I've seen elements of these where we've gone into conservation mode within our office, with our clients, where they've been pulling in their resources. We saw it even with our own homes and the need to internalize our social groups and to conserve our food, maybe, and to look at strategies for how we could limit our time we're spending out in public. Right. And we've also seen times where we've needed to reorganize, where we have been shuffling around and finding new methods and strategies for working from home, um, connecting with clients, from approaching design from different aspects. So, where are we currently at in the human health system? You know, as we go through the reorganization, the conservation phases, we're pulling in those resources, we're questioning what's working, what has not worked, and we're also observing in order to make an informed decision. And this is important to understand because, because we don't begin to recognize where we are at in a phase of a system, we won't be able to identify the actions necessary to design within it. The first step is to recognize change is a part of social systems and adaptation, and it's an inherent part of working within systems. For example, we have seen this in our understanding of the impact the building industry has on the built natural environment. And our evolution and response as we've gathered data to see how buildings impact the environment, we've started to respond. We've made adjustments, right? We've studied, we've modeled, we've gathered data, we've reorganized, we've come up with new approaches, and then we release and we create new strategies that get implemented on buildings. As Salton Walker states, resilient social ecological systems have the capacity to change as the world changes, while still maintaining their functionality. So a really resilient system isn't one that crumbles into smithereens. It is one that has some basic resemblance of itself, but adapts and changes over time. For example, in our design practice, if you solely worked in the hospitality sector right now, you could consider looking for transferable markets or working with your clients to help them reposition and repurpose their properties. Remember what I said earlier, a resilient system is one that's diverse. Diversity allows your practice or your client's spaces to be more agile. It is also one that has a variety of small local actions that connect. So consider exploring how your clients could develop and tap into this. For example, small scrum spaces, small localized break rooms would help minimize the spread of the virus and reduce the load on each space. Salt and Walker lay it out this way. Resilience is the capacity of a system to absorb disturbances, to undergo change, and to still retain essentially the same function, structure, and feedback. 
In other words, it's the capacity to understand and undergo some change without crossing a threshold to a different system, regime, a system with a different identity. Change is going to happen. The key is how we move forward from that that matters, how we respond or not, and how we design new systems for the built environment. We had a great stint of growth, so now what? The question should really be, how are we going to respond and work with the system to keep the downturn from turning too far down, making it turbulent, moving through one phase too slow or too quickly, and how profound that transition to that new phase will be? Honestly, you guys, I can feel it. I can feel the vibrancy in the design community right now. We're really starting to analyze and understand and have amazing conversations around the built environment, around equity in our environment. How can we start to take everything that's going on around us, all the chaos that's going around in our social systems and our political systems, how can we take that and create actionable items for the built environment that impact so many occupants and humans. We as designers of the built environment have the attention of the public right now. They have been seeing the effects of poorly designed spaces. And so as far as change management goes, this is a time to capitalize on their intention. This is a time to capture the audience, to meet them where they're at, and then take them further transfer that knowledge, transfer what they care about, take them from where they're at, what they understand, what they're passionate about, and use that as leverage points to design better spaces. So let's look at the concepts of resiliency further. The key to living, operating, and designing within social ecological systems goes like this. One, a resilient world would promote and sustain diversity in all forms. That's through biological, landscape, social, and economic. Two, a resilient world would embrace and work with ecological variability rather than attempting to control and reduce it. Three, a resilient world would consist of modular components. Four, a resilient world would have a policy focused on slow, controlling variables associated with thresholds. Five, a resilient world would promote trust, well-developed social networks, and leadership in adaptability. Six, a resilient world would place an emphasis on learning, experimentation, locally developed rules, and embracing change. Seven, a resilient world would have institutions that include redundancy in their governance structures and a mix of common and private property with overlapping access rights. Lastly, eight, a resilient world would include all unpriced economic systems and development. Note, social systems in particular are complex and have components that are independent, yet interacting. There is some natural selection process at work, and lastly, as Salton Walker state, their variations and novelty are constantly being added to the system through components changing over time or new ones coming in. So why is the concept of design resiliency important to the field of architecture and interior design? As we've been discussing, change happens, yet we keep designing stagnant, one-size-fits-all approaches to our business practices and clients' design strategies. As a society at whole, we tend to resist change because our societal emphasis is on economizing, which oftentimes doesn't allow for that redundancy, that change to happen. When change happens, we tend to see fear come up. 
It feels unknown, it feels foreign, and it can often feel frightening. So it's no wonder that we tend to resist it. But yet, think of this. Think about after 2008, all the opportunities that we had. Think about every big design move that's happened, big movement that's happened, big political shift that's happened, right? As we have seen a tremendous amount of growth because people have stood up to change. They've wanted to create change. Maybe thinking about it on the other side of the fence, thinking about what are the opportunities instead of the fears that we see when we face change. How can we capitalize on those opportunities? How can we work with the system to embed and create change? In short, in order to have growth, we must see change. We have centuries of designers that embrace this notion and created what we currently know as the built environment. So let's continue to capitalize on that as the design industry evolves. I see design resiliency as a tool to quantify where I'm at in a cycle. It helps me reflect and identify where I'm at. Then given this information, helps me to pinpoint the cycle and allow me through mapping to be able to identify solutions to embrace and create leverage points within the system. I believe the resiliency model can teach designers to think more holistically about their design practice and approach to projects. By doing so, we can recognize that change happens in systems. Therefore, we can plan for that with clients. We can promote those conversations during a planning process, such as asking what happens when we need to restructure. How can furniture be disassembled? How can we scale up or scale down an environment? In summary, your job, your client's business structure, our economy, our political structure are all independent systems, yet they're interacting. There is a natural selection process to any system. Some firms will survive, some will not. Some markets will be stronger than others at different points, but none are immune to change and going through the four phases of the adaptive cycle. Rapid growth, reorganization, conservation, and release. Change happens. Expect it. Reckon with it and prepare for it. We cannot have rapid growth without conservation. Explore how to absorb disturbances. It makes me think of skiing down a mogul run for some reason, even though we're starting to get to be the longest day of the year and skiing seems to be further away in my practice right now, but the analogy is still there. You can straighten your legs when you're going down a mogul run and you can bounce off each bump or you can choose to soften your knees, ankles, and back and hip and actually backpedal gracefully down the run. Both might get you down the run, but one will definitely feel better. I would choose the latter and explore with design teams how you can absorb those disturbances. How can you work with change? How can you be brave at times when there's feelings of uncertainty and fear? How can you step in? and study a system, understand it? How can you create diversity? We know that from 2008, where firms that were solely based on development struggled, explore avoiding redundancy, foregoing growth and speed in favor of sustaining the system. Okay, thinking about going slow to go fast. It's okay to internalize. It's okay to restructure. It's okay to take some time. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's a day, Maybe it's a couple of months to observe, to learn, to study, to understand what's going on, 
What are the roots of what's really triggering the system from changing? Be okay taking a pause, gathering information, and observing the system. Don't rush through that process. And lastly, engage in a range of small local actions that connect to one another. Explore where there's relationships. Explore where you can invest some time, and it has some payoff in a couple other areas. And then explore identifying your practice. Reflect to evaluate the system at play. Study historical models. Does precedent studies ring a bell to you guys? Sounds very similar. And many of you have already been trained to do this, that initial phase of a project you're trained to observe. Continue to do that, but look at it on a more global, holistic level. Identify patterns between systems. When you see something that's worked multiple times, it's probably something that's very successful. That gives you a clue into an area you can capitalize on. And then lastly, identify leverage points. Leverage points are opportunities for you to be able to tweak with the system, and it doesn't mean that you're manipulating it. It means that you're working with others to engage them in small localized acts to adapt the system, to move it forward, to help it retain its most basic and important elements of the structure. So ask yourself, how can you insert yourself into a system to create adaptive solutions to your design practice in your client's spaces? In closing, design resiliency is creating environments that are diverse, decentralized, small acts that are over prioritizing resiliency over efficiency. And this type of model might mean we need to change our clients' business structures. We might need to be brave at times. We might need to speak up and challenge the typical patterns and give those clients those opportunities to question what they've been doing. Okay, your trick is how you're going to introduce it to them, how you're going to get them to move forward into new avenues that are maybe out of their comfort zone, that are areas that they don't have precedent research to work within. We'll have to lead and inform the clients through change management strategies. To start, meet them where they are, understand their needs, empathize with them, gain their trust, find out what their ethos is, understand what matters most to them, and then use that as a leverage point to help guide them beyond where they're at creating long-term resilient systems. Alrighty, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want more, please spread the love and subscribe to this podcast. You can find supporting information in the show notes for this episode on milelongtrace.com. If you're itching to have a question answered about the interior design profession, visit our website to contact me. Don't forget to follow MyLongTrace on Instagram to stay in the know. Hey, share this with your friends to grow this platform so that we can continue to provide you kick-ass information that is relevant to you and your profession. Till next time, keep designing, y'all.